0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy of it all, Lord. You are worthy of it all, Father. And we know, Lord, that there is nothing that you call us to do, Father, that you haven't done yourself. That you haven't set an example, Lord. That you haven't led the way, made the way, Father, and even provided for the way. And we come and say thank you for that, Lord. May grace enable us tonight, Lord, to follow you wholeheartedly. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would reveal to us, Lord, that you would reveal to us the worth of the kingdom, Lord, the worth of Christ, and that we would respond, Lord, wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title for tonight is The Value of the Kingdom, The Value of the Kingdom, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, just three verses, just three verses of scripture and there's a lot of things that we can learn throughout this passage and we're going to touch on some of them tonight but the overarching theme of it is the value of the kingdom and how we should respond to this value and the inevitable question that the scripture is asking of us tonight is do you understand the value have you had a revelation of the value of the kingdom the value of Christ the value of the gospel as that entered into your hearts Not have you heard a story about it once or or do you know the words to say, but have you truly experienced, have you truly realized the value of the kingdom? Because if we do, our lives would show that we would respond in a certain way. And then the second question that the scripture asks is, does our lives resemble that? How would it look like if I knew what the kingdom was worth? How would that look like practically in my life? You see, the wonderful thing about God and His Word is that He writes it in such a way that we can never deceive ourselves. God knows that we easily get caught up into words, into statements, into information, things that we think we should simply know. And if we know them, we just do them by default. And that's not the case. And in every information, every revelation that we should receive that has a practical outflow in our lives, And God says, if you truly want to see, if you truly want to know if you've comprehended something, if you've truly made it your own, look at your life. Because that will reflect it in every way. But words and deeds, both must follow. You see, we do what we do because we believe what we believe. It inevitably flows out. If you truly want to see what someone believes, Just look at their life because their life will show you what they truly believe. Be with me. So let's read through this passage of Scripture and see what we can learn. Matthew 13 from verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it like I said three short verses of scripture but so much depth in that and the first thing we should also note here is what Jesus is not trying to say and maybe you're a businessman and you think oh wow so it is it is fair to do business that way Jesus is not giving us a lesson on business ethics He's not saying you can deceive someone and and buy something from them while you knew it was actually worth far more. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's speaking about the value of the kingdom and our response to that value. And then firstly we have to define the kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? You see, many times we think that Jesus came and He said, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or He sent His disciples to go and proclaim the message of the kingdom, this harsh reality. But luckily, after He died and rose again, then there was the message of the gospel. But it's the same thing. see, the gospel speaks about the rule and reign of God, Jesus, King Jesus. For there to be a kingdom, there must be a king. What does a king do? He rules and reigns. And this kingdom isn't a specific place, but it's in the hearts of all the redeemed. All who say, Lord, I bow the knee, I confess you are king and I follow you wholeheartedly. God's ruling reign in the hearts of the redeemed as the spirit has been poured out. And as he's leading us in life, that is the kingdom of God. That is the message of the gospel. That is Jesus Christ himself. You see, we read in Colossians 1 verse 13 to 14. It's not the board, but you can go and read that. And it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He's transferred us to the kingdom of His Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the good news of the gospel. It is the good news about the kingdom that we've been transferred from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That is the reality of it. That is what happens. So when we are speaking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we are speaking about the gospel. We are speaking about Jesus. So to say that he found King Jesus in the field or that he found the kingdom of heaven in the field or the gospel, it is the same thing that scripture is trying to illustrate here to us. It is what the scripture is speaking about. It speaks about the worth. And there's a couple of things that we can learn from the scripture. The first is the value, the worth of the kingdom. The second is how we then respond to that value what is the inevitable outflow of having a revelation of what the value of the kingdom is thirdly what must we do to inherit the kingdom how do we enter it's also seen through this passage of scripture and then more indirectly what hinders us from seeing the kingdom as we should and responding as we should and then lastly also it changes the way we view repentance and we're going to look at all of that but the first three go together the value when, when there's a revelation of the value then i inevitably inevitably respond as i should and then i enter as i should those three go together it cannot be any other way look at what the scripture says here the second part of verse 44 and in verse 46 this is the value then in his joy He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see in both cases, both people, both persons had a revelation of the worth of the kingdom. And in both cases it cost them all that they had. And in both cases all that they had was required to obtain it. In both cases. It all goes together, both had the revelation, both had to give everything and both had to give everything to receive everything, that is how this kingdom works and we need to realize now that that is not what we can pay to earn the kingdom, we don't have what it it takes, we don't have that much money, we don't have that amount of good works, we have no good thing within ourselves not what the scripture is trying to say it's not saying that you can buy the kingdom of heaven it's not saying that we have enough to inherit it ourselves but it is saying that that is the only way to enter if we don't forsake all we have we cannot enter you see grace is free but you can only receive it with empty hands grace is free but you can only receive it with empty hands God says let go of the things in your hands so that i can give you what i want to give you but i won't give it unless you have empty hands you have to let go of what you have you see and in both cases the wonderful thing about this passage of scripture is whenever scripture speaks about someone of importance of someone of stature someone that has finances it makes that plain it would say that a rich young ruler came to jesus a Pharisee came to Jesus, an expert in religious law came to Jesus, an official came to Jesus, a centurion came to Jesus, and whenever the official title isn't listed, when someone doesn't have a certain standing or certain social you know, value attached to them, he just says a man. And in this parable there is a man, a man that stumbles upon this treasure, ten to one a slave working in the field. And the other one is a merchant. Someone that has a lot of possessions. Someone that owns a lot of things. A lot of precious pearls. And in both cases, they need to sell what they have. What will the kingdom of God cost us? Everything we have. It doesn't matter who you are. But it will cost you everything you have. That is the only way to enter. You see, the kingdom of God will ask more of us than anything in this life. The gospel will demand more of of us than anything in this life everything we have we need to lay it down unconditional surrender that is the only way we can enter but the beautiful thing is while the gospel asks more than we can ever think it also promises much more than we can ever believe it gives much more than we initially came for you see that is the beautiful thing it's not a relative thing if i say you know a thousand rand tonight is that a lot of money? You say, it depends, what for? If I say a pen, not that much, I eh? cheap pen. Yes, that's a lot for a pen. If I tell you that's for a new car, you'll buy it now. Even if you don't have a thousand rand, you'll quickly go get it So that you can come buy it, because you can sell it for much more. And the inevitable conclusion is the gospel is worth much more than any of us have. Much more. Jesus is worthy of much more than any of us have in this life, regardless of who you are. Everything pales in comparison to the worth of Christ. It's worth much more. But then again, God gives much more than we can ever imagine. The gospel is so much more than we originally thought. We came and we thought that God was simply just going to forgive, cleanse us of our sins, and then leave us to inherit heaven one day. And then we realized no, no, no. He's busy with the great to work. He doesn't only want to come and redeem me, but he wants to use me for his glory. And what he makes of me, I could never comprehend that he would do that. So much more. And the glory to be revealed one day when Jesus Christ comes back. So much more than we could ever originally imagine. And the one thing that we should realize here is not only is it unconditional surrender, but it's joyful unconditional surrender. You see, the passage of Scripture doesn't say, and in great doubt, while constantly measuring the two things, the man went and eventually sold all that he had. No. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. I'm not wondering about the worth of these things. I'm certain of it. There's a joyfulness. And he doesn't say, after he sold it, then he had joy. Out of his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Out of his joy. It's all or nothing. And another thing this parable teaches us, that in this joyful surrender, it's all or nothing. Being a Christian, entering the kingdom of God, isn't a change in quality, in quantity. It's not saying to God, Lord, I'm going to do a little bit more. I want to be a Christian now. I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more. I'm going to pray a little bit more. I'm going to come to church a little bit more. No. It's all or nothing. It's submitting to the king or not at all. It's not saying to God, yes, Lord, there was a time that I believed 50% of the Bible. Now I'm going to try 80%. No. It's all or nothing. Either it's authoritative or it's not. Either he's king or he isn't. And we fall short, I'm not saying that we should be perfect now, but we should strive for unconditional surrender constantly, to obey everything in Scripture constantly, to surrender everything constantly. That is the Kingdom, unconditional, joyful surrender as we submit to the King. Moving dimensions. And the good news is that you know, many times we think to ourselves that we need to shift from our own kingdom to the kingdom of God. To make a shift from the supremacy of man to the supremacy of Christ. That is not the case. It is the seeming supremacy of man. Because we know that the real entity behind that idea is indeed Satan himself. But there is no ruling myself. There is no doing what I want. There is someone else that leads me to behave that way, to think that way scripture says in 1 John 5:19 that we belong to God but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one Ephesians 2 says that the spirit that rules the present darkness that is now at work in the sons of disobedience we all lived in that way he's transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son there is no in between it's the seeming supremacy of man The real culprit being the enemy himself. Who of you that's here tonight know what's the first rule of the Satanist Bible? Anybody? Do whatever you want. Do thou whatever thou want. Lawlessness. A seeming supremacy of man, a seeming doing what we want. The real culprit someone else. And the good news of the gospel is, and even that we didn't know, as we entered into this kingdom of light, then only do we realize shucks, I was never in control at all. There was a different entity behind this wrong thinking. And in light of that, it's even a greater, joyous surrendering of all that I have to follow God Himself. And now, the question that I have to ask us tonight is does this parable illustrate? Your current walk with God. Is this a picture of your faith? When people look at you, do they say, man, this person also went and out of joy sold all that they had. And they are investing in the kingdom of God. There is an whole-hearted surrender. Joyfully surrendering everything to follow God. Does this define your faith? Is this a parable of your Christian walk? Is this the kingdom you found? Does it resemble the current Christianity that we see in the world around us I think not in fact I think never more has a group of young people of children been more confused that were raised in traditional Christian homes because when asking mommy daddy what is the most important thing the answer is Jesus obviously but then as we look at our lives we're investing in everything but Christ Everything else, giving time to everything else, everything else takes preference, everything else comes easier, but when it comes to following God, no, I'm I'm a bit tired today, He'll understand. Does this illustrate your Christian life? Or to ask it a different way, is your faith exclaiming to the world the value of Christ? Is your faith telling the people around you this is what God is worth? This is what the kingdom of heaven is worth. All that I have and so much more. You see, because the sad thing about current Christianity is there's a lot of people walking around the field, but they've never discovered the treasure. Literally sitting in church, the people that found the treasure, that's why we bought the field. You with me? That's why we, and they're in the field, but they've never discovered the treasure. They're in the building that sells the pole, but they've never seen it. You see, when Jesus explains the first parable, and he says, The kingdom of heaven in verse 44 is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Even here and in the Greek, it is a Accidental discovery. It's not something that he sought. It's not something that he looked for. It's an accidental discovery. He simply stumbled upon this treasure. And it could literally have happened. In those days, there weren't any banks. So people literally put their treasure in the ground. When Jesus explains the parable of the talent, that is money, what did the last guy do? He hid it where? In the ground. And so, a lot of the times, they literally hit treasure in the ground and war comes and people die, and now they don't know where it is. So, it could have literally happened, but the chances of it happening was like winning the lottery nowadays. And you can imagine, as Jesus is telling the story, they're thinking to themselves, man, how lucky. My parents told us once there was a guy in their day that discovered a treasure like that. How lucky. What are the chances? I don't know if you, like me, you know, have ever, you know, had that dream about winning a lot of money, daydreaming about some other reason winning a lot of money, or people just giving you money. And they might have had the same thing, dreaming about that day, or imagining as they sat there, you know, stumbling upon the streets that somebody left there. And as Jesus tells the story, thinking, "Man, how lucky!" And while they think, man, I like you, they're thinking, if that is the odds of discovering the kingdom, man, there's no hope for me. If that's the chances, then there's no hope for me. Do you literally mean that only every second generation, maybe someone's going to discover a treasure? And then Jesus says, no, there's another man. In verse 45, 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Rather be this man. Now the chances are a lot better of you discovering the fine pill. You're not just going to stumble upon the treasure, but you're actually looking for the fine pill. You're actually looking for it. You're seeking for it. And God says, seek me while I might still be found, because there's a day that Christ comes back, and then it'll be too late. The time of grace is over. The time of judgment has begun. Seek me while I might still be found. In Proverbs 3 we read, seek for understanding, ask for it, search for it as though it's searching for silver, as though searching for hidden treasure. And you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will acquire the knowledge of God. Seek it, look for it, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And like I said, in a sense we are all the first man because we could never imagine that this is the treasure. This is the worth. So in a sense, we're all the first man discovering something that we could never have imagined. And you can imagine him stumbling upon the trees and he just opens the lid and even just what's on face value is far more worthy of what he has. And quickly he covers before anyone sees and he runs. And he sells all that he has and he comes back and as he starts to dig, man, he just sits there in, in, in wonder. Who could have known that this is in here as well? Who could have known the depths of it? Who could have known? But God says, be the second man nonetheless. Search for it. Seek it until you find it. Seek it until you find it. You see, and if our Christianity isn't marked by joyfully selling all that we have, we have one of two problems. And it eyes that, we've never seen the worth, we've never realized the worth because we are believing a lie. And that lie tells you that there is something that's of greater worth than Christ himself. That is not the truth. 2 Corinthians four: Peter says, Paul says that the enemy keeps a veil over the eyes of the unbelievers so to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, unable to see the worth of Jesus Christ himself. Believing a lie that there's something else I have that is of greater value. What are you not worth? What's not worthy to give up for the sake of Christ? What is it that you are still clinging to? Because that is a lie that the enemy has sold you. It is not of greater worth than Christ Himself. So that is the one cause. Believing the lie, unable to see the truth. And secondly, maybe in our in our busyness of the modern day that we are living in, we have simply never sat down to examine and to count the cost of the empty ways of life in compared to the treasure found in Christ. We simply haven't sat down to consider what is the things worth that I'm busy with? The things that I'm holding on to, what is it worth? Because look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, Verse 28 and verse 33. And this is just after Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet, saying that there's a guy and he holds a a great feast, a king, and he invites people. And as he invites the people, they say, no, I can't come, I've bought a field. I I have to examine the field first. Another man says, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go and examine the oxen first. Another man says, "I, I just got married, I can't come. And the king gets furious, why? Because they're unable to see the value. Of what the king wants to do for them. And in light of that Jesus says. For which of you designed to build a tower. Doesn't first sit down and count the cost. Whether he has enough to complete it. So therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has. Cannot be my disciple. You see and we are wondering to ourselves. How does counting the cost. You know, Because it seems like there is an investment that needs to be made. If you want to build a tower, go and see if you have what it takes to build a tower. Do you have enough material to build a tower? Otherwise, after laying the foundation, people will laugh at you because you can't finish. And the second illustration Jesus uses is about a king going to war. Don't you count your men first to see if you can actually defeat the army that's coming? Otherwise you you wave the white flag, you surrender. And it almost seems like Jesus is asking us to and count the cost so that we can bring what we have to the kingdom. But then the conclusion is to renounce all that we have. Why? Because Jesus expects that as we sit down and to count the cost, we realize that we don't have what it takes. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to contribute. I can bring nothing to the table. And what he's asking us to renounce is nothing at all. What do we have? What God hasn't already given And the works that we contribute to our righteousness, is filthy rags. So to throw away the filthy rags is nothing in light of gaining everything. You see, there's a wonderful song by On It says, bring your lear under. Bring your dirty, empty hands. Because it's all we have. Not only are they empty, but they are dirty as well. And he'll wash it for us. And some of us are unable to follow God in the most basic of ways because we simply haven't sat down and counted cost. We haven't sat down and considered. Man, I just seem, can't seem to find the time to spend time in God's word. But we're watching series and movies and this and this and that. Have you considered the empty things in your one hand and the worth of the word of God in the other? Have you considered that? You wonder why modern-day Christianity can't recite a single verse in Scripture, no passage. When asked, what does the Bible say about it, just blank. But the new series, the new movie, man, I'll tell you about that. Why? Because we haven't sat down and counted the cost. Not only is the one worthless, but it's teaching you a wrong way of thinking. It is contrary to the Word of God. It actually breaks down what God wants to build. Let it go. It is worth less than nothing. In fact, it is destructive. Let it go. Spending time in prayer with God Almighty, the God who created heavens and earth, that bends down to listen as we pray. Have you sat down and counted the cost? Have you seen what it is worth? Because if we have, our lives would reflect that. Look at what Paul says. In Philippians 3 verse 7 and 8. see, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted the cost. I sat down, I examined. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Then he goes on to say that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that depends on the law, but the righteousness that depends on faith in God, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, that by any means necessary, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, I've already made it my own, but one thing I do know, I forget what lies behind me and stretches to what lies ahead of me. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ has already made me his own and the wonderful thing about what Paul is saying there he's saying the gospel promise the promise of the kingdom is threefold Christ has already made me his own the kingdom was established when Jesus Christ was crucified his love displayed forgiveness earned and that makes it certain it's not based upon my performance it's not based upon what I bring to the table because it was it is certain But that I might know him now, the Spirit has been poured out now, and that makes it alive. But he also says that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, and the kingdom will be, and that makes it hopeful. Because the present suffering is not worth comparing, Paul says, to the glory that will be revealed. The kingdom was, that makes it certain. The kingdom is, that makes it alive. And the kingdom will be, that makes it hopeful. And in light of that, man, I count the cost. And I follow him with everything in me. And I want to end off us with the scripture in Luke 12, 32. This is just after Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added unto you as well. Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about the stuff. And then he says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give the kingdom to us. That's why Jesus came. He wants to be king. Christ showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He wants to give us the kingdom. And in light of this, and in light of this parable, he changes our repentance. Why? Because we no longer repent of the fruit, but we go to the root. You see, many times we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I don't read my Bible more, I don't pray more, I don't come to church more, I, I, I swear, Lord, I, I got drunk again, whatever the case might be, that is the fruit. But this parable says, no, 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 there's something that lies deeper than that, that is the root. And yes, we repent of the deed, but behind all of that, we have to say, Lord, I repent of not giving you the worth, that's due, your name. I repent, Lord, of not loving you as I should. I repent of placing a greater value and a greater worth on something else rather than you, Lord. Because that is the root of the problem. That is at the core of it. That is what brings the fruit. You see, we cannot break the last nine commandments without breaking the first. Beside me, you will have no other God. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And it's by forsaking that one while the rest gets broken. But all sin produces from that. And so yes, we repent of the fruit. But we go down to the root to say, Lord, I repent. Not giving Christ the worth, do His name. Not valuing Him as I should. Not loving Him as I should. Because if you love me, you will obey my commands. And in light of that in light of a gracious father that wants to give the kingdom let's sit down let's count the cost because when we do that the inevitable outflow will be a joyful renouncing of all that we have so that we can receive all that god has to give let's stand and pray together yes lord father thank you that we can come before you tonight lord and say thank you lord for your love for your kindness that you want to give the kingdom, Lord. That's why Jesus came. And we know, Lord, that as we draw near, Father, as we've come to cost, as we forgive, as we repent, you shift us again, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that if it wasn't for your constantly drawing near, Lord, for your constant gathering, for your constant calling, we all would simply drift away. We want to return to you tonight, Lord. if you are here tonight and you say that I've never actually realized the worth of Christ. Man, I've never given everything. I've never surrendered all. Not joyfully. Man, it's always been a burden. And I always think that it's such a sacrifice to follow God. If that is you, just there you stand. Won't you lift your voice to God and say, Lord, I seek, Lord. I seek the kingdom. Come and reveal yourself to me, Lord. Come and give me a revelation, Father, of who you are. But there we are. Just lift your voice to God, but start to move. If that is you and your heart's beating, don't say nothing. Start to move. And if you are here tonight and think that there was a time, there was a time that I I found the treasure. There was a time that I had the pearl in my hands. But as time went on I, I put it somewhere and I, I forgot to look at it constantly and i forgotten the worth and all the other pills that I once sold became desirable once again slowly but surely I started to accumulate those pills again because I've forgotten the worth of the King if that is you just there where you stand why not you just lift up your voice to God and say Lord I repent of those things Lord Repent, Father, of shifting my focus, of not looking at the kingdom, of not seeing the worth of Christ. And I repent, Lord, and I return wholeheartedly. If you are here tonight, and by the grace of God, you say, Lord, I've joyfully sold all that I had, and I'm still enduring in that. Would you firstly just thank God for His grace? And secondly, ask Him to help you to keep your eyes fixed upon that treasure, to keep your eyes fixed upon that bone. Just there you stand. Lift up your voice to God. And also as you're standing here tonight, you maybe ask yourself, Lord, what is the one thing that I'm unwilling to sell? What is the one thing that I'm unwilling to let go of? If you ask God the question, He'll show it to you and He'll show it to you quick. And whatever it is, if it's a good thing, reprioritize it. Let it find its place below God. And if it's a bad thing, just let it go. Just let it go. It is not worth it. Thank you, Lord, Father, that as prayers are going up in this place, Lord, you are healing, redeeming, and restoring, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that as we pray tonight, that no one has this expectation that they should now earn their salvation again, Lord. That they should now prove again, Lord, that they are good enough. We never were. We never will be. But in your grace, Lord, is sufficient like paul said father not having the righteousness of my own that depends on the lord but the righteousness that depends on faith faith in christ Lord, being found in you that is what we are after lord i thank you for restoring once again lord and as we walk out of this place tonight lord may we not only examine lord the thoughts that we think but also the lives we live that is my life in line with the message of the gospel Am I living a life worthy of the calling of Christ? Thank you, Lord, that your grace enables. In Jesus' name, amen.